Mike's just going to wave to everybody while we're getting started. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. It is good to have everyone here. Um, excited about studying together this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Deuteronomy, uh, some passages from here, but we'll start off in numbers because why not? Um, just a heads up, because I think I need to remind myself that we have a new bell system, so there are going to be two bells. So when that first one goes off, George, we got to stay in our seats, right, and wait for the next one. So I'm telling that to myself uh, so that we can hold each other accountable, that we do have a five-minute warning bell. So uh, that's just for my reference. So uh, I'm excited about studying this morning. Um, we're looking at the book of Deuteronomy, and the way that we've been approaching this topic is that we are looking topically and textually through the old law and finding some things that are kind of challenging as we read through the old law and how to decipher what's going on here. And our topic that we're looking at this morning is exceptions in the law. And I wanted to look at this particular idea before we get to our next three class series that we're going to be uh, considering together. We're going to look at some main um, some main things in the law. We're going to look at feasts. We're going to look at cleansing laws and see what they have to say and find some underlying principles to them. And before we can get to that, I thought it'd be beneficial for us to consider maybe what uh, appears to be some exceptions or maybe how God handles some human interaction as he is establishing these laws and, and guiding his people. And if you'll recall, many of the laws that we have is kind of God taking a step and men taking a step, or maybe uh, men going first and God having to shore them up along the way. And we see that happen over and over again, that God is trying to educate us and prepare us. And it was very simple when you began in the garden with the simplicity of the rule of God of don't touch this, don't eat this. But then it expounded outside of the garden, and we continue to bear with that today as we look at the laws of God. And these exceptions that we're going to see, it's really God interacting with men, but also men going too far in trying to come up with their own exceptions. And I think some of the things that we're going to be seeing in the law are going to have an excellent tie-in to what we consider in the New Testament, but also what people are trying to do when it comes to the Scriptures in general. And so that's going to be our approach. We talked about this last time, and I decided I just want to make this a reoccurring idea as we begin each class. Two things that we established very early on in this class is that the law is an extension of God's nature. If we can maintain the integrity of God in His nature and really understand what that means, then we'll understand what He is asking us. And what He is asking us to do is not too far from us. In the sense of if we love God first, we're going to be able to do what He asks us to do. It's that unique uh, passage that I find in Deuteronomy chapter 30 where it talks about the law. It's not over there. It's not too far this way. He says it's within us. And we see the same thing in the New Testament that the Word of God is living and is active and it pierces to the very inner being of man. I thought this was a good um, quotation from a commentary as he was looking into Deuteronomy chapter 30 and about the close proximity of the Word of God to the hearts of men. He says, the law could be in the mouth of every man as he repeated it over and allowed it thus to enter his heart and flow out into his life. God's will expressed in the covenant did not require deep searching among the mysteries of the universe, for it was as near as hearing and seeing and had been revealed plainly to Israel. And he makes a comment to Deuteronomy 29, 29 about the things that have been revealed are for our learning. But those things that God has not been revealed, those are the secret things that belong to him. But what he has shared for us, it is that we may know it so that we can do it and understand where it comes from. And he says, hence, being in Israel's mouth and understanding the heart, it was something that could be acted upon. 
you can actually do it. Even if there were secrets yet to be revealed, Israel could know and enjoy a life by loving God and by loyally obeying His covenant. They uh, need not wait to comprehend the universe in order to begin to live. I don't know. I, I thought that was a really good description about what we see concerning the law, and I think that is just a general statement for the Word of God uh, overall, is that it's something that has been revealed, and if it's been revealed, it is for our benefit. There are things that God has not revealed that are part of His will and His plan, and that's okay, and we have to have confidence with that and know that He does have a great plan and that He is above us and beyond us, but what He has given to us is of utmost importance for us to consider and to know what to do with it. And I think that's great when you get to the New Testament, these descriptions about you know, rightly dividing the word of truth, handling it correctly as if it were a sword, knowing how to utilize it so that we can educate people, educate ourselves. And that sword is a double-edged sword that is able to, as we said, cut to the very inner being of a person. And so if we can maintain these two ideas as we continue any aspect of this study, I think that we will benefit greatly knowing that the Word of God is for us to follow. So let's put up a definition of an exception, and then I'm going to turn it back on you in just a moment. We talk about exceptions in the law. If you just pull out a basic definition of what an exception is, it's a person or a thing that is excluded from a general statement or does not follow a rule. We're looking at the Old Testament. There's a lot of rules. There's a lot of things people get caught up in. And the Israelites were trying to figure out, all right, God, we know you have all these commandments, but what about this? What about this? What about this? One of the main things that uh, Moses had to do when he was ruling or judging the people, if you want to think about it in some of those terms, is that he had all of these cases that were presented to him. Day after day, hour after hour, minute after minute, people were lining up in front of Moses asking him, hey, how do we deal with this situation? I've got... uh, this dispute between me and my other kinsmen, and and we're handling this over our livestock, our possessions, or our housing, or the landmarks, or whatever that is. And, And so Moses had to hear those things every single day. These cases, and he knew the rule. The rule had been revealed to him in many different ways, many different times. Uh, the, he had the tablets of stone that he knew what was there. He spent 40 days with God on top of the mountain receiving these commandments. Really, it was 80 days after he did a second stint up there. He's getting all this information. So people are coming to him and they're trying to decide, what do we do with this rule? How do we live this out when we've got this, this, and this? So what did Jethro tell Moses? His father-in-law, he said, look, man, you've got to divide up some of the responsibility. You have to have some men that you respect that are from each one of the tribes, each one of the people, and you teach them and educate them, and that will pass down from there so that all these cases that are in front of you, whether small or great, whatever that is, they can be heard, but there's also a, a way of handling the amount of them. But what I find in the midst of a situation like that is there are a lot of rules, and there are a way to live out those rules, and there might be some challenges that are faced to people living those out that need some further clarification. When we come across situations in life, we come to the clarity of the Scriptures for our guide. And we want to understand what's going on in here, but as these things are being revealed, remember, we're in the Old Testament times, and and not everything has been presented yet, and there are still things to come until fully when we see Jesus standing in front of us and, and the Word of God in flesh. But you think about these exceptions, they're looking to say, what do we do with these difficult cases? So let me ask this just generally, as you think about the Scriptures as a whole, are there exceptions in the Bible? Can you think about, 
And I'll present it this way. Can you think about maybe a verse that looks like an exception? Uh, there's an exception to a particular rule. Or I'll give you on this hand, can you think of what people may say are exceptions to the rule when that may not be the case? So I'll give you those two options. What are some things in the Scriptures that are an exception to a particular rule? And then on the other side, what are some things that people may say are an exception when really they're not? What comes to your mind? Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. A lot of our debates and conversations about divorce happen over the exception rules uh, when you talk about sexual immorality that is uh, found within a marriage and that dividing it. So very good. What else? Okay, laws against uh, God's word. Okay. Okay. All right, so the topic of baptism, can you can you think or maybe have you heard conversations of people about exceptions to baptism? Well, you know, does God really want every person to be baptized? You know, what about this or this or this? What happens if they are in this situation? What if they're on a desert island? You know, we hear all of these kind of things that are an exception, but what is the rule that is called upon that is uh, that is being asked of us? And then you see men coming up with exceptions beyond that. That's very good. What else comes to your mind? Okay. What about it? Okay. So, uh, when it comes to worship, are there exceptions to what God asks of us? You know, a lot of people say, you know, as long as it's up to your heart, you do whatever you want to do, whatever you desire, um, and as long as you love God first. But go back to our two principles, and I think that's why you have to maintain them. If you understand God and what He asks of us, and what He's revealed. You're going to stick to what those rules are, but people want to find exceptions to them. Um, and so, yeah, just in the category of worship, you can see a lot of that happening. Very good. Okay, so um, think about Matthew chapter 15. There's an interaction Jesus has with some of the Pharisees about, um, really, they're trying to find a loophole in the law. And they're, they're talking about, you know, we know that we're supposed to take care of father and mother, but I've already dedicated these things I've be given to them. I've already dedicated them to the Lord, so I'm going to keep them to myself. And that's where Jesus gets into the, you know, out of the heart is where uh, evil things uh, come from. And he says, it's not what you put in your mouth. And it's because he was using that as an illustration. But uh, people are trying to find an exception in there. And I think Jesus nails that down very well in Matthew chapter 15. But you can also go to the Sermon on the Mount, and there's a, a small part in there about vows, and he fixes that very quick. You can probably think of a lot of different ones. Maybe you've had conversations with people, Bible studies with people, or maybe just people launching attacks against the Scriptures and, and maybe wanting to find contradictions in there. I think there's a good response to each one of them because, once again, we maintain the integrity of the Scripture, that it is the Word of God revealed, and it has a plan and it has a purpose. I think as we go through studying the law, there are some things that we're going to notice and things that I realized as I was reading through it and how people wanted these passages to set a paradigm and they were really misunderstanding what was going on. The first one I want to look at is in Numbers chapter 9. Numbers 9. So 
we're not too far into the, the history of the Jews. Uh, it has not been too far into them coming out of Egypt. And a lot of the laws that God is implementing, that he is bringing about, they're very new to them. The one that we're considering in this passage is concerning the Passover. Now, the ties for the Passover begin in Egypt, correct? When you deal with the plagues and that tenth plague, God gives them a rule and he says, look, this is what's going to happen. I need each one of you to go and get this lamb. It needs to be spotless, blemishless. Uh, blemishless? That's not even a word. Let's go without blemish. And he said, you know, this is the type of lamb that I want you to have. And you were to look for this and then you were to prepare it in a very specific way. You're supposed to prepare yourself in a way that you're prepared to leave when things really happen. And so that's the beginning of it, the very simplistic one. Well, as we go further into the story of the Jews, when it comes out again for them to celebrate the Passover, they have some questions about it. And uh, we're going to begin this in Numbers chapter 9. We're going to read a few verses, so let's just bear in together, starting in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt. So first off, something just to take note of, you're studying the Passover, and we're going to look at some of these feasts in the coming weeks. When they were in Egypt, he says, this day, this month is going to be the beginning of your year. I'd never noticed that back in Exodus. He said, your year will start here. And he tells them, this is the first thing I want you to do in the first month. On this particular day, between the twilights, between the days of 14 and Nisan 15, I want you to celebrate the Passover. If you look at the time stamp here, Look at how much time has passed. It's now time for them to celebrate it. So he's saying these rules to them. In verse 2, Let the people of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. On the 14th day of the month, at twilight, you shall keep it as at its appointed time, according to all the statutes and all the rules, you shall keep it. We, we're familiar with these terms here. He's got an appointed time. He's got a, a prescription for it. And there are rules and regulations with it. We're fine with working with that. We've seen all this before. In verse 5, And they kept the Passover in the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at twilight, in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel did. Alright, so they celebrated the Passover. There's a, some other passage I'll, I'll put up on the, the screen for you to consider, just some more details about the Passover and how it was to work. So, we see this, we're like, okay, look, they're following the, the, the law of God, they're right in track with it, good. Let's keep on reading. Starting in verse 6. And there were certain men who were unclean through touching a dead body, so they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and Aaron on that day. And those men said to him, We are unclean through the touching of a dead body. Why are we kept from bringing the Lord's offering at its appointed time among the people of Israel? And Moses said to them, Wait, that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. They had a legitimate question. They're saying, all right, if this is a feast that we're going to celebrate once a year, and we know that God wants us to be clean, and we have all these regulations about clean and unclean, and if you uh, do something, and, and it seemed like a legitimate case here that they're like, all right, we've touched a dead body. We want to be able to celebrate this because if you touch a dead body, you're going to be unclean for a full week. How long was the uh, Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread? It was a week. I mean, they're going to be missing out on a lot of stuff potentially. And so they're wanting to say, all right, how do we, what do we do with this? And so where do they go for a direction to their question? God, Moses, they want to know what God has to say about this. There are a lot of times in the wilderness and beyond that where people go ahead of God. Maybe people act uh, presumptuously. They go beyond the will of God. They want to run beyond it. And they think, you know, 
they have the good intentions of, you know, would God really want me to wait to have this sacrifice? You know, I think about um, Saul and some of the things that he did, King Saul. You know, he, he sacrificed when he wasn't supposed to. People did all kinds of things, and it looks like they had good intentions, but they did not ask for proper guidance from God. And that's one of the things is we're looking at these exceptions and understanding what's going on in some of these dialogues. There's something very foundational we have to understand. God has to play a key factor in determining what should and should not be done, right? That's where we get our guidance. That's where we get the rules anyways. So let's keep reading and see what God's response is. The Lord spoke to Moses uh, in verse 9. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel saying, If any one of you uh, or of your descendants is unclean through touching a dead body or is on a long journey, he shall keep the Passover to the Lord. In the second month, on the 14th day at twilight, they shall keep it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it until the morning, nor break any of its bones. According to all the statute for the Passover, they shall keep it. But if anyone who is clean and is not on a journey fails to keep the Passover, that person shall be cut off from the people because he did not bring the Lord's offering at its appointed time. That man shall bear his sin. And if a stranger sojourns among you, and would keep the Passover to the Lord according to the statute of the Passover and according to its rules, so shall he do. You shall have one statute, both for the sojourner and for the native. So out of curiosity, as we're just thinking about exceptions and, and seeing what's going on here, what are some things that, that you notice in these few passages, in these 14 uh, that we read, and I think I skipped some on a slide, but seeing the full context, what are some things that you begin to notice in the dialogue here? What sticks out to you? Okay, so Daniel was talking about the intention of someone. that We do see some good intention questions, but as I said, you have to go to the law of God to understand what should be done. But then you have the other people that are kind of mentioned in there, right? You see those that, for whatever reason, they failed to do the Passover. And it wasn't for one of the prescribed things that is being discussed here. He says if these people just forget or they don't do the Passover, they're going to be accountable. They're going to have a sin counted against them because they did not listen to the commandment of God. And so it's not just intention. That was part of what sparked this. But really, it's God's intention that gives the ultimate say on everything. Okay, what else? Just out of curiosity, things that you notice in here. So the directions for what you're supposed to do are very specific. And it's the same of what you would do on the first month as what you would do on the second month. And that's why I like uh, the end of verse 14. You shall have one statute, both for the sojourner and for the native. And I think you see that played out in this whole passage, that there's one statute. 
what was being discussed is if you were unclean here. Um, and then what do you do? And it, I, I thought it's so interesting as I was looking at this and I, I thought it was intriguing uh, a, a scenario like this. And I started reading commentaries and we know that commentaries are written by men and, and you can see a lot of their biases come out. What, were the, what are the two things that God was watching out for? Someone that's unclean or what? What was the other one? On a long journey. Okay, he said those are the ones. I was reading some commentaries and they said, if anyone missed the Passover for any reason, they can make it up um, on the second month. Is that what the passage says? No. It wasn't just one commentary. There were quite a few that said that. Now, can you begin to see how people start responding to the Scriptures with their biases? I think there's a very clear definition, and this becomes the rule. We may look at it and say, oh, there are exceptions, and we, we can do what we want to. That's not the case at all. We now have what the rule is all about, and you find the principles underneath it. I, this uh, stuck out to me, and I started looking and seeing if there were some others, and just how people started dealing with a, a situation like this, what comes to their mind and there were quite a few of them, ones that I, I was posed with. And, and so I started you know, trying to figure out, all right, what's going on here? To respond to something like this, we're going to have some more trial and error as we go along. What you would want to do if you're looking through this, you want to find what are the actual rules for the Passover. Anytime we're studying the law, we want to know the rules. Now, we have five books of the law. They all constitute one you know, concise thing. We have 613 of them together. But you would want to know, all right, how does all this work out? Well, if I want to understand the Passover, what should I do? I should go to Exodus chapter 12 and understand what the Passover is all about. If I'm going to say anything about the Word of God, shouldn't I have a good foundation for where those teachings begin? So um, just use John's example. He was talking about people wanting to come up with exceptions to worship. Where do we understand what worship is about? How quickly do we find worship in the Scriptures? Way back in the beginning. If you want to understand worship, you begin in the very beginning. And you start working through and connecting all the dots. It's a good principle as we study the Scriptures. If somebody comes at you with maybe a, a proof text or a single, what they may say is an exception. You know, I was thinking Daniel talked about uh, baptism. And you know, one of the, the dialogues that comes up, and, and I was seeing it as I was reading just what people are saying about exceptions. They say, you know, it, can, should we really be baptized because of what about the thief on the cross? He wasn't baptized. So how do, you do, how do you deal with something like that? And what they miss is a very basic principle that you find very early on in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus says he's able to forgive sins. When the guy was let down through the, the ceiling of the house and he was lame and uh, he wanted to be healed, what does Jesus say to him? He says, your sins are forgiven. And then rise up and walk. He puts them all together. Jesus has that ability, right? It's not an exception. The principle is Jesus is the Son of God, and He's able to teach accurately what the Word of God is. There's things all through the Scripture if you can lay a foundation. So if you want to understand the Passover, go where the Passover begins, and you get that. Then you would want to say, all right, how did the priest handle something like the Passover? Let's see Leviticus chapter 23, 4 through 8. You understand, hey, we're talking to the Levites. Here's things that you're looking out for. And then you would come to Deuteronomy 16, 1 through 8. And you find the second telling of it to the new generation. Here's how you celebrate the Passover. I think if you will go through these steps and find God's hand in it, you won't find the loopholes. Now, have you already started thinking about the Pharisees? Can't you see how the Pharisees would play with a passage like this and want to come up with their own rules? Uh, Bob was talking about um, 
in Matthew chapter 15, and the Pharisees finding a loophole uh, for taking care of father and mother. One of the Ten Commandments, you know, honor that father and mother, and then they're trying to find loopholes to get out of it. The Pharisees would do this kind of thing over and over again, and Jesus holds them accountable. And we're going to see a very profound one in just a little bit. So, what is the exception? Things that we need to consider. People do not get to choose the exception. Now, you look at this passage, and they came with a question. Had God said, sorry, you're going to have to wait until next year, then what would the rule be? You just continue on, right? And we're fine with that. We should be fine with that. It gets difficult when it gets personal. Uh, to Sam, when you're talking about uh, divorce, the conversations and the debates that come up about what God's parameters are for a marriage. You can find people wanting to change that and make it their own. What does God choose? He's the one that's in charge. So God is clear about what He expects. There are consequences for ignoring the rule or the rules. As we saw in Numbers chapter 9, there are consequences. If you don't do what God tells you to do, you're in trouble. And it's not going to be good for you. You're going to be cut off. You're going to be killed. You're going to be separated. doesn't matter if you're a native or a sojourner. You hold everyone accountable to the line and what the standard is. So um, so that was the first one that I noticed. Any questions or comments on that out of curiosity? Yes, ma'am. No, um, Yeah. Okay, no, that's a very good question. So she's asking, um, were they supposed to celebrate it still on that first month because of the wording in verse um, in verse 10? Uh, so numbers 9 verse 10. It says, speak to the people of Israel, saying, if any one of you or your descendants is unclean through the touching of a dead body or is on a long journey, he shall still keep the Passover to the Lord. So were they supposed to do on the first month? What was the very beginning of the next verse say? In the second month on the 14th day, that's when they were supposed to do it. So he's saying, you're still supposed to celebrate the Passover, but you're going to have to do it on the second month, not the first month. The second month. Yep. That's a very good question. Thank you. So yeah, and so you can see that he's like, no, you're still accountable for what the rule is, but here's what I'm telling you to do. Okay, any other questions or comments? All right, let's look at uh, another one. Deuteronomy chapter 14. So here we have some teachings about tithing. Um, it was one of the one of the basic ideas that the, the Israelites understood, there's some maybe operational cost of, of running a nation and having a central hub for uh, religious worship and all these kind of things. But there's also just this response that we talk about when it comes to tithing and giving back to God is that all things belong to God anyways, right? It's not ours. And he's requesting for part of that to be used for his service in uh, whatever respect that may be, whether taking care of people or operational costs, things along those lines. I mean, we can see that all through these, these teachings on tithing. Um, and we need to have more teaching on them to understand what this is all about, consistency for us, so that these things belong to God. And he's asking us to sacrifice so that we can take care of each other. So here's one of the, the things that is taught here in Deuteronomy chapter 14. 
says, you shall tithe all that you yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. So what, what's the, the basic principle that we're seeing here uh, about tithing? He's giving them some things that are, you're, you're to take from these areas, and you're to take a tenth of it, and you're to hold it, and then you're to bring it to the place that I establish. Another one of those good reading things for you to look at in the book of Deuteronomy, look at how many times he talks about the place that they will go, the place that he chooses where they will be established. Later on, we know that's going to be Jerusalem, where the temple is, uh, is placed. That's going to be the permanent city where everyone comes to to offer these sacrifices. And a lot of the sacrifices and things, he says, this is where you have to go to do it. You have to be in this city. This is what I'm designing for you. Uh, even in the beginning with the Passover, in, uh, starting in Exodus chapter 12 and all the way through, he is very specific about where that Passover lamb should be killed. It's not for you just to sit at your home and decide, you know, I don't feel like going to Jerusalem. I don't feel like doing that. No, you better go where he tells you to go. So some of the, the general things about what God expects are played out here in Deuteronomy chapter 14 concerning the tithe and how you, uh, how you are to do it. That you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Let's keep reading in verse 24. Okay. And if the way is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe, when the Lord your God blesses you because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses and spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. David and I were discussing this passage uh, recently, and it was one that was presented to me as a challenge to really setting up the, the church and understanding how God functions. They came to this passage and they said, you know, God doesn't really care how we worship. He doesn't really care what we do as long as, uh, you know, we're good intention with it. And they came to this passage and they said, look at what God says here. You know, he has a specific rule about tithing, how you take all this stuff, but if the, the way is too long for you, then just take the money and then go do whatever your heart desires, and that's just as good. So let's ask some questions here. What do you notice? Uh, maybe frame it this way and get a little feedback. What is the rule and the exception? Just thinking generally, and we'll, we'll shore it up a little bit. What do you notice in this passage? What are some challenges that may come from it? Mm -hmm. Okay. So you take a tenth of the first of your things. That is the rule. Okay. What else? Yeah. So... If the way is too long, do you see a reoccurring theme about the way being too long? I mean, we just saw that with the, the Passover um, and where that was going to be. If the way is too long, if, you know, Jerusalem's going to be too far away, then here's what you do. If you're going to be taking a tenth of all your possessions, and let's say, you know, you're quite wealthy, and a tenth of all that with your whole family, your entourage, that's going to be a big ordeal. So what does he say? You still take those same things, but what do you do with them? You turn them into money. And then you take that money to the place that God says. The rule is still the same. 
It's still just as applicable, but he's telling you, here's how you handle the situation. Now, what if they came in and they said, God, I, I know that you want me to go to Jerusalem, but I thought I would go um, down to Egypt and do the same thing. Is that going to be acceptable? No, it's not going to be acceptable. You don't get to decide that. He's already decided when you come with a response, here's what you do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Naaman, the, uh, and he was actually a pagan. He was on the, the other's army um, and heard these commandments about God. And, and you know, he comes and asks for guidance, and, and he's told to go dip in this river seven times. And he says, but I've got a lot nicer rivers back home that are a lot cleaner than that mud pit. But what was the rule? You go where I tell you to go. You don't get to decide which river you like best. You go to what I say. That's a good illustration to pull along with it. Yes. So Nadab and Abihu, is who Daniel brings up, is that they offered strange fire. I mean, they kept what, you know, it was the rule of the fire, right? But no, it was not the fire God asked for. And how far down are we from Aaron um, for those, high, those priests to not understand what's going on? Those are his children. It's imperative, and this is why, you know, very profoundly does Deuteronomy chapter 6 come to mind when he says these rules... The, the main rule, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, put that first. But all the rules that we're dealing with in Deuteronomy says you speak them to your family wherever you may go, standing, sitting, walking, lying down. All these things, it needs to be right in front of you so that you know what is expected of you. And so you can find people um, trying to you know, find loopholes or whatever to something like this, but I think it's very clear what the rule is But the consistent factor is God gets to decide what you do when you come to him with a response. I'm just wondering, you know, when they're they're asking about what if the way is too long? He's like, look, I've already got a response to you. You come with your complaints because we know the Israelites, they love to complain, don't they? And he's like, look, I've already got something ready for your complaint. I've already got a response prepared for you when you say the way is too hard or that's just not possible. No, this is it. This is what you do. So just rules about the, as um, Billy's talking about, rules about the tithe is that there are a lot of different ones. You read through Leviticus and uh, Deuteronomy again, he'll talk about these. There are a lot of different ways that you would tithe, but they're, and they're played out here, of uh, you taking a tenth, but that last phrase of this main section that we read, don't forget the Levites because they don't have an inheritance. They, they need something as well, and that's you know, what I was calling operational, that it's to take care of them as well. God has commanded us, made worship, commanded us, here's what you do, it's worship. 
So John was highlighting the command and the expediency. So you talk about worship, we're commanded to sing and the expediency, you know, using a microphone, um, something like that. Or, you know, we have a church building, things along those lines. The command is for them to give the expediency of how they go and take it where they're supposed to. That was the expediency factor. And so, I, I mean, there's just so many great rules and principles, how we interpret law just in general in our society that is beneficial for us to look at along with this so that we can be prepared, that we're not caught off guard by people misunderstanding the Scriptures. Part of us untying the law is knowing how to deal with something that may seem like a challenge, but at its base, it's foundational. There are some great things uh, to look at. So let's go a little bit uh, further in, and uh, let's look at a, maybe a more challenging one that's already been referenced. So in Deuteronomy 24, we have a, a commandment about divorce. Here's what the passage says, verses 1 through 4. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house. Am I just, there it goes, yeah. Um, or if the latter man dies who uh, took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So, as I said, we're going to look at these a little bit different. Here's the, the way I want to talk about this. Where do you find this passage being discussed in the Scriptures? Maybe find a little quick reference. If you want to just throw out the, the general idea, where do you find this being discussed? Matthew 19. Let's go over there and look at Matthew chapter 19. It's a little trick. There's a couple of uh, Matthew 5 and Matthew 19. If you're talking about divorce and marriage, um, Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. There's uh, one of the teachings there about Moses. And then you have Matthew 19, a, a longer description. Two very good places uh, to understand what's going on. I've got up here verses uh, 1 through 12, and we won't read all of them. Um, we just had a Bible study on Thursday night, and uh, Sam led a, a good discussion about this passage and how people may respond to it. But you've got some Pharisees, uh, you've got some religious leaders that should know the law that are coming to Jesus and they're questioning him. We'll pick up in verse 3. It says, And uh, Pharisees came up to him, speaking of Jesus, and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, do you see what they're looking at? All right, we know what the, the law says. We've got Matthew chapter, I mean, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 24. So what's going on here? But how does Jesus respond? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So stop and think here for a moment. What is the rule? Okay, there's no divorce. What is another rule or principle that is found within this? Where does Jesus point to? Genesis. For us to understand what's happening in Deuteronomy, 
And this is what we've tried to do with the Passover thing. For us to understand what's going on here, where do you have to go? You got to go a little further back. Jesus is saying, all right, you're focusing on Deuteronomy chapter 24, but let me tell you something a little bit further back. In the very beginning of man and woman in creation, what does he say the rule is? One man, one woman, and what God has put together, let no man separate. You see, they were focusing on what was going on in Deuteronomy, and they were missing a very basic principle that was found in the Scriptures from the very beginning. Now, as we talk about you know, an exception in, in the divorce and things like this, what the rule is, even as we're looking at it and using these terms, he's saying what God has put together, let no man separate. And what sexual immorality, adultery does, is that it, it divides the one flesh. It, it tears that asunder. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. You can understand a very basic teaching, and, and this is not to go into scenarios and things like this. I just want to show, as we're looking at laws and how people are addressing this, where does he go for the foundation? All the way back to the beginning. The sum of thy word is truth. All of it together is going to paint us a picture of how do we do uh, these kind of things. But also in verse 7, you find out something here. And they said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Same thing he said back in Matthew chapter 5. He's already taught this before. And it's the same thing that you can find in all the gospel accounts. He teaches what the principle is all about. And they're saying, you know, why did Moses talk about this? Because what do we learn about how God gives commands and helps them along the way? He's trying to shore them up. He's trying to help. When they take a step, he, he takes a step. And he takes two steps to help you along the way. And these things were in place in Deuteronomy chapter 24 because of the hardness of their hearts. But what does Jesus come in to fix? And what is the whole purpose of God's Word? Is to fix the heart problem. And so you look at the, the consistency of what He's trying to establish across this, and you ask, all right, so which principles do we find in this discussion? Here's something I want to uh, take from this as uh, we're drawing to a close. Kind of restating what we saw earlier. God defines the rules. God sets the boundaries. God determines man's directions. Think about rules. This is what the principle is. The boundaries, you hem it in, and he shows you what they're all about, and then God determines the direction. How do you go from here? Men are not the rule or exception makers. What we find going on here is that God is responding to the hardness of their hearts, or He's, he's responding to a, a long journey. He's responding to what they're doing, but He's establishing the rule. They don't come and say, God, we would rather do this, and we want you to change your rules all about it. And if God cuts it and He says, that's not what I'm doing, then they say, okay, we're going to follow through with that. But there's time and time again in the history of the Jews where they want to do what they want to do. And it's so apparent as you go through the New Testament the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, these religious rulers who should know the Word of God, they were missing some very basic principles. And really, they weren't willing to live it out. The last thing that I, I want to show um, just before the bell rings in about 10 seconds is this passage in Matthew chapter 12, 1 through 8. It's another one that I would encourage you to study, that the Pharisees come and they want to challenge Jesus on going through the fields and his disciples plucking heads of grain and, and grinding them up. And they're saying, look, this is in violation of the Sabbath. 
So many times they want to tell Jesus that he's violating the Sabbath. And he says, look, you guys have seriously missed what this is all about. The Sabbath begins at creation. That's where we learn about it. And then we have rules all along the way of understanding how the Sabbath is to work. And so he, Jesus, gives illustrations along the way. And he says, all right, let me show you what is really going on and, and how you guys are inconsistent with seeing the rules. But the very last idea that he shares what I bolded in verse 8. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus kind of lays down this trump card and he says, I'm giving you all these illustrations, things that you should know about. I'm in charge because I'm the Son of God and I'm letting you know that Jesus is the Word of God in flesh. He knows the rules better than any man. You look to Him for a foundation to understand all these things. And they were misunderstanding the Sabbath that was established at the beginning of creation with rules along the way. They perverted and they changed but Jesus shows what the rule is all about. I appreciate you guys digging into this. Uh, encourage the study, and I look forward to next week together.